I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, busy seems to be the word of the day, and we do have a jam-packed show for you today. We will have the latest updates from Afghanistan, and we will take President Biden's speech live here on KSL News Radio. Expected to start about 40 minutes from now. We'll see when they actually get launched, and we will cover that as things continue to unfold in Afghanistan. Uh, school starting today. Work is uh, ramping up and it is busy, busy, busy. And we're told we always need to be more busy and to keep going. Uh, But is that really what we need? Do we need more motion or forward movement? Do we need to be uh, just uh, efficient or effective? We got to get past the headlines. We got to rethink what it is that we're actually trying to do. So let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, I think one of the biggest things we need to think again is just our busy, busy, busy approach to life, to work, to school, to our communities, and so many other things. Uh, there was a wonderful piece in the Wall Street Journal, an essay uh, by Oliver Berkman. Uh, he's a journalist. He's author of The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. I want to get into that on another day. Uh, he also has a uh, wonderful new book called 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals, and he joins us on the line now. He's going to help us uh, break through all the busyness of being busy. Oliver, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So let's uh, let's talk through the the premise uh, of where you're going to take us on this journey. I think everybody feels the uh, the busy syndrome, uh, but how do you look at it, and how should we think again when it comes to being busy? Well, I think a place to start is just to understand that we live today, especially in a world of what I call infinite inputs. Right, so mm-hmm. there is effectively no limit to the number of emails you could receive, to the number of demands your boss could make, but equally. Uh, you know, no limit to the number of places you might want to visit on your bucket list, no limit to the number of uh, business ventures you might want to start. It's not all negative, but it is all infinite and sort of limitless. And yet, and so, you know, if we spend our lives trying to get on top of all of this, trying to get so efficient that we can do it all, like the math doesn't work there because it's a limitless supply. So I think we have to think of a sort of a different way of relating to this stuff than the hope that one day with the right time management techniques and a lot more self-discipline will suddenly be sort of 
on top of it all because because that's just not in the nature of of being a finite human in in an infinite world yeah and with all of those inputs uh one of the things that caught my eye in in your writing uh oliver was this idea around time management and uh, i've always been one of those who said time management you can't manage time because you can't hold it or mold it or shape it or form it all the things you do with manage uh but it's it's more about choices and and focus is that right yeah, I mean, I think one way of thinking about it, you're absolutely right, right? You can't manage time in the sense that you can manage money or you don't even have time in the same way that you have right. your physical possessions. You just get one moment. We all get one moment per moment, you know, uh, at one at a time. I, I think that a big part of this is about seeing that, like, we are all always making choices all the time anyway. Right. Anytime you decide to spend an hour doing one thing, you're, spend, you're deciding to not do a million other things. And so it's not about sort of telling people, in a way, it's not about telling people that they sort of have to do less. It's about hoping to encourage people to see that these choices are already involved. And if you can make them more consciously, mm. instead of chasing this fantasy that tomorrow, next week, next year, you're going to get on top of everything. It's never right now, of course. It's, it's always, <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's down the line. in the future, right? Um, that's actually, I think it's really relaxing. It's not um, a council of despair. It's not like don't try to do amazing things in your life. It is actually like how to maybe get around to doing a handful of amazing things in your life instead of chasing this illusion of one day sort of being, being omnipotent with with regards to time, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, ultimate control, I think, is uh, definitely not in the cards for any of us as as mere mortals here. And I, I, I love this. I love this idea you have, Oliver. That um, it, it, this isn't this isn't about uh, kind of a doom and gloom, and nor is it about just settling for mediocrity in anything. It's about being more intentional. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, this is how what I have learned. I you know the hard way because this book is written out of many years of being one of these uh, counterproductive productivity geeks and sort of getting to the end of that, uh, that uh, <laughs> promise. Um, but, but, you know, uh, one of the things I always think and say now is that a project that you actually bring into fruition, whether that is creative in the office, in terms of a relationship uh, around the house, it's worth a million times more than the best project in the world that you just are fantasizing about and not getting around to doing. So, you know, we can, we, if we have the choice between kind of dreaming of impossible things and actually bringing real, interesting, exciting, possible things into reality, I would say, you know, it, it's the latter that is a truly amazing life, even though those things are going to be imperfect by comparison with, the fantasy, because that's the annoying thing about the human mind. You can always imagine everything going perfectly, right. uh, <laughs> but it but it never does in practice. Yeah, oh, I I love that, and uh, I, I always remind our listeners that uh, my immediate audience, whenever trying to solve all of these problems, is is myself. Uh, and it sounds like you've right. been on that same right. Uh, no, totally. And you know, I try to be honest in the book as well. This is not this is not someone saying I've sorted my life out perfectly, and now I'm going to. Let the rest of you follow my example. <laughs> it's much more a question of like, we're all in this together. And, yes. uh, you know, here are some, hopefully some, some useful ways of thinking about it uh, as we make the journey. Oh, that's wonderful. If you're just joining us, uh, 
we're having a great conversation to start on Monday. Oliver Bergman is joining us, The really escaping the efficiency trap. Uh, the book is compelling, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And uh, just before we get to our, our first break here, Oliver, uh, I want you to just uh, give us just a little snapshot into this idea, this principle you teach of that we just need to stop trying to clear the decks. Yeah, I mean, this is the idea, I think it goes by different names in different parts of the world, but this basic idea that, like, if you want to focus on some stuff that really matters to you, the big work project, whatever else it might be, the thing you should do first, we believe, is get all the little things out of the way first. So make sure that there's no emails that really need your attention, no voicemails, uh, you know, the trash has been taken out, that you've got all the all that stuff off your attention, and now at last you can focus on the stuff that matters. And what I try to explain in the book is that, for various different reasons uh, to do with the modern world, the decks are never going to be clear. And in right. fact, the effort of trying to clear them often makes them fill up again faster. So this is not a helpful way to get round to the things that you care about the most. Um, if you If you focus on clearing the decks first, you'll be clearing them uh, for the rest of your life. Uh, I think there's a lot of us that are in the uh, the deck cluttering business, and uh, that that's an important thing. We're going to do uh, what Einstein said. Einstein always said that it wasn't that he was any smarter. He was willing to stay with the questions just a little bit longer, and that's what we're going to do. Oliver Bergman's agreed to stay with us for another segment. So we are going to stay with the question just a little bit longer as it relates to escaping that efficiency trap and uh, much more to come here on Inside Sources. Stay with us. We're going to get to uh, some bridges, and we're going to get to some uh, different things that will reduce your stress in your life. Stay with us on Inside Sources. Think again with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We're going to stay with the conversation just a little bit longer today, looking for some additional insight. Oliver Berkman's a journalist and author. Uh, his book, uh, there was a great piece in the Wall Street Journal, an essay uh, by Oliver, uh, talking about uh, this whole idea of uh, how do we deal with the busyness of it all and making it a little bit effect, uh, a little bit more effective for us and reducing our stress in the process. And Oliver, one, thanks for hanging with us for a, an extra segment here. And uh, I want to jump right into this idea of burning bridges versus keeping options open. Always a great debate, but I think it often becomes a big stressor for folks. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, we've been talking about how we seek to feel in control of time and how this leads to all sorts of problems because we, we can't ever really be in total control of time. And I think that this preference for keeping one's options open is a kind of bigger scale example of that same thing, right? You sort of, you don't want to fully commit to a job or to a relationship or to anything like that because it makes you feel like you're the one in control. You can get out at any moment. Mm. It's not really, um, you haven't really sort of jumped headfirst into, into life in a scary way. But all the research shows that actually, I mean, and I would say experience as well, but all the research shows that people are actually happier when they have, uh, made decisions that they can't uh, easily back out of because they are no longer tormented by the what-ifs, right? They're no longer sort of worrying about whether they should change their mind. It's just kind of like, hey, it's too late for that, so we better we better move forward. And, you know, I'm not saying this is absolutely foolproof or that nobody should ever 
leave a relationship or a job or something like that. But but I think broadly speaking, you know, we 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 err far too much on the side of trying to feel like our options are open, and it doesn't actually lead to a more happy or meaningful existence. Yeah, that's right. And it often it often just creates some some stress, and and I think it uh, you know to me it's the more hesitation, the less inspiration, and the less likely you are to act with decisiveness uh, in terms of where you're headed. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the the example that people always give, because I think it's very vivid, is the world is the the era of, you know, Internet dating uh, platforms where you're sort of presented with the thought that there might be thousands of people out there for you. Um, Maybe there wouldn't be, uh, but it certainly seems like uh, there might be. And, you know, as people often point out, like if we all grew up on a on an island with sort of 15 potential dating partners <laughs> instead of 10,000, we'd, we'd, we'd choose one and settle down and we'd be happy. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it, it's that sort of tormenting aspect of choice in the modern world uh, that, that, that is kind of feels like freedom, but I think probably often doesn't end up being freedom. Yeah. So, so why, is it, why is it that uh, the busyness is so attractive <laughs> to, to all of us? And it doesn't matter how old we are or what our economic status is or what our employment status is. We just seem to be attracted to, to business. Why is that? You know, I think it makes people feel like, um, and I've totally been there, so there's nothing, uh, you know, speaking for experience, but I think it makes people feel like they matter in a world where it can be difficult to feel as though you as though you matter and it can make and it makes people feel as though they are en route to this moment when there will be a sense of deep security and control and they can finally breathe a sigh of relief and you know it's worth saying this is very different for for different people some people feel they have to be busy just to like pay the rent other people it's if they're more privileged it's a matter of um feeling busy you know, to feel like they're fulfilling their potential. So it plays out differently. But we all have this this notion that we're sort of en route to this wonderful moment. And actually, I think, you know, on some level, the wonderful moment is right here. And it's the only moment that can be wonderful because it's the only one that ever really exists. Yeah, <laughs> and right. so, um, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a pity and a shame in the long run to yeah. um, spend your whole life waiting for this for this thing to happen yeah learn, learning to just be present to the moment to to be here now uh i think is so important and often it is that chasing uh, that we're looking for so how do we how do we start that process oliver in terms of reorienting our mind so that we can be present to the moment and we can actually focus on what is important what matters most well i mean in the book i got a lot of practical tips and techniques but honestly i think that the the first step is something to do with discomfort, right? It's to do with, it's to do with kind of not expecting this to feel comfortable at first. I think that when you read books and you hear people talk about the importance of being present in the moment, you kind of assume that if you at least could find, you know, if you could find 10 minutes to be present in the moment (laughs) on a busy day, it would just be delicious. You would just stop. You would look at the flowers in your garden and you would feel great, but that's not how it works for, for modern people, right? We're, the flywheel is spinning in us so fast that if you attempt to sort of stop and slow down and become a bit more deliberate and conscious, it's not going to feel that good right at first. So one of the things I say is it's like 
just stop expecting it to feel totally great in the first 10 minutes that you um, that you sort of slow down to the speed of life because that discomfort is not pain and agony. It's not going to kill you, but it isn't super lovely at first because we are conditioned for the, for the opposite. So I think a lot of what I'm talking about, not clearing the decks, all the rest of this stuff, it's, it's just this idea that, you know, stay with that kind of antsy feeling that you might get from from stepping away from this way of life and give it a give it a few minutes give it an hour give it a week um before you conclude that it's uh, not for you and it's time to time to speed up again yeah and often it is just that that antsiness that busy factor of you know i've okay i'm going to make a commitment to this and i'm going to be perfect by friday <laughs> because that's right. what we have to do uh and just learning to i, I love this idea of the speed of life uh, as opposed to the speed of light uh, which we all seem to be uh, recklessly charging towards and uh, just learning to, to pause a little bit. Uh, and it is, it's interesting, even if you just, uh, we, we have a little saying around here, if, you, if you'll just shut your devices off for one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, uh, that, that actually might change the game in terms of these. Uh, I love how you frame this, Oliver, in terms of 4,000 weeks, which uh, sounds like a lifetime, but man, they go quick. <laughs> they do indeed, yeah. All right, uh, Oliver Bergman joining us today. Uh, great insight. It's a great book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. Uh, also a great piece uh, in the Wall Street Journal. We'll post uh, all of that on our social pages today. Uh, Oliver, thanks for joining us on Inside Sources. Thank you so much. All right, and that's Oliver Berkman. Uh, it's a great book uh, and a great read, 4,000 Weeks. And uh, that is a lifetime, by the way. If you live to about 80-ish, uh, that is about what you get. And how we spend those weeks, the choices we make, they matter. And will we choose to just be busy and chasing? Uh, our good friend Debbie Dejanovic uh, was texting me during the break uh, talking about when she was first mar married. She spent uh, 30 minutes uh, and folded all the napkins in the, t in the 250 napkin pack just so they'd be ready for dinner uh, when they ate uh, in, in her, early in her marriage. And, and uh, just the stress of that. Uh, you could spend forever uh, folding napkins and getting ready. Uh, and that just that constant busy, that constant chase uh, is there for all of us in so many different ways. I love Debbie's thing. I'm going to have her come on the show tomorrow and talk about that because that is such a great visual of chasing the busy uh, just in case and just to be ready and clearing the decks, making sure everything's done. And we've got to learn to slow down. We've got to learn to disconnect. We've got to learn to be still. Uh, and be in the moment. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour break. Uh, President Biden is expected to speak to the nation coming up here shortly. Congressman Chris Stewart is going to join us. He's a veteran, uh, supported the ending of the war. He's going to join us next to give his reaction and what he anticipates hearing from the president coming up next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities 
of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.